COC, there's a little turret-shaped like place all built of granite stone, and it's called Zoa Chapel. It's sort of strict and particular Baptist, but there it is, part of the city wall, still in use and occupied. Of course, that, that always reminds me of the story of Rahab, who lived in the city wall. Her house was in the city wall. And um, we always hear about the wall coming down and being flattened, and yet they were meant to be in the house when the wall was flattened. Was the house still standing? I think it must have been. So the act of God preserving lives in a practical way was a pretty amazing and outstanding thing. Not that the fact the wall came, the coming down of the wall was a miracle, uh, which it was, came down with a shout and obedience to God, and uh, down it came, and in went the Israeli army, and all the people were slaughtered, except for Rahab and her family. How can a God of love do that sort of thing? There's a sort of question that people ask today. How can a God of love destroy so many lives and just preserve a few? Well, I'll just leave you with that thought for a moment. I've got, also got the short straw this morning because I've just got one very short verse to speak on. Shall we read it in Hebrews 11, verse 30? Hebrews 11, verse 30. Well, I've just referred to, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I don't know what you think that verse infers. It tells us, that she welcomed the, sp- the, the, the spies, but what did it actually infer? What well, inferred there was a difference in the life of Rahab, or a difference between her and the people that she lived amongst. And the Bible refers to the people as being as a disobedient people. Don't know fully why that is, but they obviously rebelled against God. Obviously, they were in a place that God wanted for his people. This was the promised land that uh, we've been looking at over the weeks. You know, this land that God had promised to Abraham that his people would go in and possess the land, possess it in a very real way, that it would be theirs, it would be their inheritance, and they would also reap the blessings of that land and all its fruitfulness that it would give. It was God's blessing to his people. But also God is a God of justice and a God of judgment. And um, in a way, God allowed justice to be delivered through his people. Not that they were worthy to do it, they weren't worthy to do it because God had leveled the same accusation against his own people. You read in Romans that all the... All through the Old Testament, God held out his hand to a disobedient people, and he was referring to Israel. And we will look at that just a little bit later on. 
I just want to look briefly at the, the obedience and the disobedience that we're confronted with in Scripture and as Christians today in which we live. The power that it is in obeying the words of the Lord or coming unto submission to what God has says. What he said through his word. We've had his word this morning. And it's amazing how the scriptures that have been read this morning sort of fit in roughly with what I want to say. But because, you know, some of us here are not quite so familiar with the Bible, we've, we've thought as elders that there may be a need to actually bring a story-like presentation to what we're going to read about. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to read a story to you about Rahab and about the situation that we've read in that verse, and it's called Your Israelites, Aren't You? The knock at the door this evening was soft, but persistent. Rahab looked up. Out of the window she could see the silhouettes of two men, customers. She was used to furtive nighttime visits by the townsmen. Here was business, pure and simple, and legal too. Oh, the wives in the town shunned her, and her father had been deeply disappointed. She knew, but prostitution had brought her a good living, a house of her own, and an established place in Jericho society, albeit a less than respectable one. The knock sounded again, and Rahab opened the door and ushered the men inside. How may I serve you? She said with a wink in her most seductive voice. Maybe these strangers will become regulars. Who knows? The taller one spoke in a broken and halting way. Do you have um, a place where we could stay overnight? Rahab studied him closely. He was dressed like a man of the desert, but his dialect sounded vaguely Canaanite. Then she gasped, you're Israelites, aren't you? It wasn't really a question nor an accusation, just a statement of recognition. The men's startled expression showed she was right on the mark. Rahab rushed to the windows to shutter the room from prying eyes. What if they had been spotted? She and all Jericho had watched as a million and a half Israelites swarmed up the Jordan and encamped at Shittim, only a dozen miles across the flat Jordan Valley, when the East Jordan kingdoms of Ammon and Bashan fell to their armies, terror spread throughout the region. Jericho's king had issued a strict command to report all suspicious foreigners. The city was in a panic. But Rahab composed herself and motioned for the men to sit as she brought them something to drink. Gone were all the seductive moves and phrases of the temptress. In their place was earnestness. She filled their cups the second time. She sat down across from them. They say that your God opened up the Red Sea when he brought you out of Egypt. Is that true? Oh, indeed, miss, the older one named Salmon answered. I was but a small child at the time, but I remember it well. The water seemed to tower above us on the right hand and on the left. He paused and passed his hand down one side of his bearded face. I can still feel the spray on my cheeks, he said. The wind was blowing furiously, but mother took us as children by the hand and led us straight into the wind until we were across the sea. I shall never forget it. 
your God, what is his name? Moses told us to call him Yahweh, which means I am that I am. He always was and always is and always will be. Your Yahweh isn't some local deity, is he? I think he must be the God of the whole earth and the heavens too. Yes. Rahab was quiet and the men didn't intrude upon her silence but stopped at their cups and whispered to each other. How will we recognise your house when the city is taken down? Oh, I beg your pardon. I've not turned over the page, have I? Okay. Can we stay, miss? Someone finally asked. Yes, you can stay, but I'll have to hide you. Everyone's been watching for Israelite reconnaissance parties, and you'll be killed if you're found, she paused. I'll be killed too if they knew I'd helped you. She got up, took their cups, and put her finger over her lips. Ever so cautiously, she opened the door a crack to see if anyone was in sight. All seemed quiet. Her house was perched high above the city, built across Jericho's strong inner and outer walls. She had to get the men out the door and around to the side of the house unseen, where they could climb the steps to her flat roof. She pushed open the door and motioned for the men to follow around the corner up the steps. Then she pointed to the tied bundles of flax drying on her roof. Not my best bed, she whispered, but the safest. The men burrowed under the flax and were invisible. Rahab's latest business venture was to begin a cottage linen factory. Flax grew vigorously in the lush Jericho Valley. She had purchased some of this year's crop. The fresh cut plants of the roof pot would be baked in the sun and then finally the fibres would be combed out and woven into fine linen cloth. During the day her house could be used for textiles while at night she would ply her accustomed trade. Only until linen business was established, she told herself. Perhaps no one had seen the men, she mused. They would be extremely difficult to find, even by day, on a roof covered with hundreds of flax bundles. And quietly she descended the stairs and went to bed. Perhaps no one had seen them after all, but shortly there was a banging on the door. Open in the name of the king. She opened it a crack. The king desires to see me, she asked, with a mock innocence. (laughs) Not you, Rahab, but those men who came to you tonight. There is a light spies trying to learn our defences. Bring them out. Yes, the men came to me, she said demurely, but I had no way of knowing they were spies. They, mm, she paused for a fact, they got what they were looking for and left. Just at dusk before the city gates were closed. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you'll probably be able to catch them. Lies had always been easy for Rahab. She was used to keeping men's secrets from their wives and families. Lying was part of her business, and she lied convincingly, too convincingly, she thought. Lucrative as it was, she had grown to hate the whole dirty business. If only her textile venture would take off. The king's men hastened away, and soon she heard the huge city gates creak open to disgorge parties of soldiers rushing east towards the fords of the Jordan to apprehend the Israelites. Rahab smiled. She crept up the stairs to the Israelites, hid on the roof and slid under the flax herself so she could talk. 
You've probably heard, she whispered, that you've been seen and the king has sent search parties to scour the Jordan for you. You can't get back across, not now. Why are you helping us? Asked Salmon. We've put our life in danger, put your life in danger. I know that Yahweh, your God, has given you our land. Our people are terrified. They know how your God brought you across the Red Sea. They know what your soldiers did to Sihon and Og and their armies. Your Yahweh is God in heaven above and earth below. That's why I didn't turn you in. Your God will prevail. And when he does, swear to me that you will show kindness to me and my family as I have shown kindness to you. You must spare lives, my father, mother, sisters and brothers, and their spouses and children. You must save us from death. Your lives will be spared if you spare ours, Salmon and Shorter, if you don't reveal our mission. We'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. You must leave tonight, said Rahab. Since my house is on the wall, you can climb down by rope, but don't head for the Jordan. Instead, hide among the caves in the mountains just west of here after two or three days when they can't find you. The king's search parties will return to the city. Then it will be safe for you to cross the Jordan and go back to your camp. How will we recognize your house when the city is taken, asked Salmon. You've seen the scarlet cord that hangs from my window, said Rahab. That's how you knew I was a prostitute, wasn't it? When you surround the city, you'll see it hanging out the window. Look for it. You must look for it. Just be sure you have everyone with you in your house, said Salmon. We can't be responsible for anyone who's not inside when we take the city. But we give you our word before Yahweh our God that we will protect anyone who remains in the house with a scarlet cord in the window. Just don't leave the house. Rahab nodded. And if you tell the authorities, we are released from our promise. <coughs> of course, said Rahab, you can trust me. Your God, Yahweh, will prevail. I'm doing this for him and for my family. One after the other, the men descended the city wall using a rope. And when they reached the bottom, they ran for the cover a few hundred feet from the wall. In the light of the early dawn, they could see Rahab in the window, pulling the heavy rope back up into her house, hand over hand. And then she disappeared. But in a moment, she was back. And as they watched, she tied her scarlet cord in the window high above the ground. And they saw her lift a hand in final greeting, and Salmon too waved before he and his colleague turned and ran for the hills. The scarlet cord was a symbol of her profession, but as it hung there, it became something more, the hope of deliverance from war and bloodshed, but also from a life Rahab had come to hate, the scarlet cord that blew in the early morning breeze now bespoke her faith and her salvation. It's a story... And it is a story. Some details may be questionable, I don't know. But they're possible. Every one of the details are possible. But we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't mention them. 
but with research, someone has written a story, and it helps fill in the background detail for the story, which are quite important in this particular sense. Rahab was a prostitute. The writer of the Hebrews affirms that as a fact. Life of prostitutes, say, in Jericho, um, was an awful life. It is probably today, and always will be. It's part of city life, very often, but almost part of everywhere today as well. The fact that she did what she did was not necessarily what she wanted to do. It could be that she was an outcast from her family. It could be that she was ostracised by her family. And she was alone in that situation, in that environment. In actual fact, living in the city wall wasn't the best place to live. It was dirty and sleazy. But here one was someone who was probably a loner, or maybe a widow, had become a widow and no means of income. Maybe she was driven into that. And what we have to say about Rahab is sometimes life throws at us things which we can't handle. Sometimes life puts us in situations which no one can seem to sort out. Sometimes life puts us there, but God can sort it out. God is a redeemer of situations. We've mentioned that before. God is a redeemer of lives. He's one who takes someone from almost any situation and makes them, as we've read from 1 Peter this morning, kings and priests. Kings and priests. And I think we need to see Rahab in the light of this. The writer of the Hebrews saying, I want to give you an example. I want to give you an example that's an example of faith. Last time John spoke, he spoke about Joseph's bones, and we looked at that. And it was actually the fact that faith actually brings the reality of the future into the present, and we can live by that. We can live by hope of what God is going to do in this world. We can live by the hope that Jesus, what he did at the cross, was not only for now, but it was for the future. And John also pointed out the fact that when we take part in communion, we're doing this till Jesus comes. It has a future aspect to it, a future reality, if you like. But it's a fact that this, that God is in this redeeming the world to himself. He's redeeming situation. We read in Romans that the whole earth is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God to put things right. And in a sense, our lives are like that before God. He's waiting to put it right. Isn't that wonderful? He's waiting to put it right. He can do it, and he will do it. He will do it. That's our God. That's what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross. He gave his life that we might live. He dealt with our sins that we might know the power of forgiveness in our lives. The power of forgiveness. When Rahab creeped up the stairs, 
Fancy being in that situation, you know? She knew that they were all going to die. Because she said, God has given this land, this place of Jericho, into your hands. The whole city is gripped with fear. Fancy being in that sort of situation. We can look at Rahab, a journey in life. We can look at her life as being transformed. We can look at her life as receiving God's mercy upon her. She went up the stairs, we read in the story, yeah, quietly, carefully, she went up the stairs to the room and talked to the men. And she said, I know, I know God has given this land to you. We have heard, we have heard how God brought your people out of Egypt. We're convinced that your God, he is God. Our world needs a confidence like that today. Look into the past, see what God has done. Look into present to see what he can do. But also look into the future to see what's possible. To see what is possible. She creeps up the stairs and... Um, She said, I want you to show us, my family, kindness. We want you, because of your God, to show our family kindness. My mother, my father, my brothers and sisters. That's what the Bible says. So you have more than one of each brother and sister. So we take that to be true. But a whole family. We want you to show us kindness. The word kindness is very interesting. It's a word that actually describes God's covenant love. It's like this. I want you to show us the same love that God has shown you as his people. God's put it in your power to actually translate the love that God has given you and showing you as the people of God to me and to my family. That was a cry and a plea for mercy. And today, we look at the cross of Jesus, the cross which is an em- not only the emblem of God's love, but it's the demonstration of God's love to the earth. And it's almost, we can say, I want to know that love that God shows when he let his son die on the cross. Because like Rahab, she knew that God was going to kill people. And she she still claimed that God demonstrated covenant love to the world he loves. That's a question we keep faced day by day, isn't it? How can a God of love allow all this suffering? How can God of love do those sorts of things? That's a big question. And it has a big answer. And it is that God demonstrated his love in that Christ died for us. The writer of the Romans makes that quite clear. 
God has demonstrated. And so as we look negatively at the world, so we say, what do we learn from Rahab? Despite God's judgment, the judgment was waiting to be poured out on Jericho. Despite that judgment, that wasn't saying that God wasn't a God of love. It was actually affirming the fact that God was love. It was affirming that this God was, had a love which was covenanted to the world. But God is trying to prepare us for the future. He's trying to prepare the world for the future where there be no sin. You know, a people who stand against God are standing in the place of disobedience. That's what the writer he was actually saying. The people of Jericho were actually a disobedient people. Don't know that, that's what the writer says. But he says, Rahab stands out in this because she's come to the submission of God in her life. She's come to the place of submission to what God was doing in the earth. She came to the place of submission that God was over all. And so she gave her life and her activity to the people she gave her life and her situation over to God at that point. You say, Rahab, whose side are you actually on? Whose side are you on? I'm on God's side. I know what he's up to. I've seen what he's doing. And I'm actually going to believe into that now. I'm going to submit to that purpose in the earth. Submit to the promise that he gave Abraham, if you like. Submit to the fact that God is going to give you this land. I need to speak tough and as a warning. Because in the world today, there seems to be no fear of God. I'm not saying it should be a fear of being afraid. But it's we don't stand and respect what God has said in terms of his judgment. Yeah, we love to know that God is a God of love. And we love to know that God is kind and he will show kindness to us. We need to know that God is a God of mercy and grace. But God is also dealing with this earth. He's not going to allow anything in heaven or in the heavenly sphere or in his coming kingdom that destroys lives. Because lives are precious to him. He's not going to let anything into his presence that is classed as sin. That's a serious thing. And it's a serious thing as a church we need to face and to recognise, not in a heavy way. But do I stand and respect that? Like the parable that was given about the sheep and the goats. God is going to divide, he's going to separate the two. And so we need to say, Rahab, whose side are you actually on? And thank God we know whose side she was actually on. Because she changed sides. When we come to believe and to trust in Jesus, it is not an airy-fairy thing or something that just means something in our mind. It's a moving from one side to the other. The writer to which letter it is now in the New Testament, but it says to the Christians, you have been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom 
of his son. That's where Rahab was. She moved from one side to the other. When we trust in Jesus, when we accept him as our personal saviour, that's a great transaction. Like the, writer, the songwriter said, "'Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's and he's mine. It's a move. It's a tectonic plate move. It's, moved. it's a shift from one side to the other. We can't go on in this earth just thinking that we may be a Christian or we may be a believer or we may be saved. We have to demonstrate that fact that we've moved from one side to the other. We can claim the love that God has shown to us through Jesus Christ. We can, when we come to Jesus and we accept him as saviour, that's my plea for mercy. That's where we find the love. It gives us the mercy of God on our lives. And I love that explanation, the difference between grace and mercy, because they're all evident in this story. That mercy withholds from us what we do deserve and grace gives to us what we don't deserve. That's all seen and demonstrated in the love of God. That's covenant love. Now Rahab was reaching out for this covenant love. It was a love of promise. It's a love that could be hers for the asking. It was a love that reached out for mercy. No matter sin, that's what it was all about. She reached out for mercy and she asked for it. And that's what we need to do when we come to Jesus. You know? And that's a question of either obedience or disobedience. You say, why do you say that? Because in Acts we read that God has commanded... You know the verse, don't you? God has commanded that we actually repent, turn away from our sin, and accept Jesus Christ as saviour. That's a command. That is, that is the God's command. You see, yeah, I have to do that, yeah. But if we don't, we've actually become disobedient to God. It's a question of obedience and disobedience. Strong words, aren't they? This is quite strong, isn't it? This is quite forceful. And as a preacher, I have to do it. The lovely things in this story, but you see, Rahab changed sides. He used to sing the old song, Who is on the Lord's side? <laughs> Do you remember singing that one? Who is on the Lord's side? Yeah. That is the question. This is her kiss. This is her kiss and tell story. In Psalm 2, it says, Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in your way. But blessed are all, we've had this verse this morning from another psalm, but blessed are all those who take refuge in him. This was her kiss and tell story. It wasn't the sleazy one. In other words, she wanted to touch God and reach out to him and submit to him in the best way that she could in her situation. She wanted to kiss the sun. She wanted to kiss the God of the earth. 
and she wanted to tell. We have heard, we know, your God is God in all the earth. She wanted to tell her story. That was her Shema, her confession of faith to the two men on the roof. If we, the writer of the Romans says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. That's a public confession. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The Shema is a thing that the Jews use today as they begin their service synagogues, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, our Lord is one God. This is the point. Her ear was open to the voice of God. It was her Shema, her confession of faith, as she slipped up the stairs and tucked in under the things we read in the story, I know your God is God. Our world needs to come to that place today. I've been so disappointed. I saw the Channel 4 programs by Stephen Hawking, and it just made me feel, I praise God for the knowledge and for the understanding that God framed the earth, the world's, by the word of his power. Amen? Hallelujah. I know your God is God. And as we look at the cross where Jesus said, where Jesus died for our sin, we have to say, that is the God of the whole earth. That's not a petty deity. That is God's voice, his covenant love to the earth. Show me and my family your kindness. And we read about those two spies that they, they committed themselves to actually show her kindness faithfully. To show her kindness faithfully. And that's what they did. But there's another slant to this story as well. We have to say, I have to say this under the possibility and the probability it may have been true. We're not told it in the story. But more than likely, she had been cut off from her family and was living a lonely life. That's what it was. It's quite possible that the family with no money, he could, the father could have put Rahab to work, if you like, in the trade of prostitution. And from that, it could be that they had ultimately had nothing to do with her. She was an outcast. She was set apart from her family. But what's the first thing she said about these spies? Would you show my family kindness? When we become Christians, God makes us kingpins for the glory of God within the context of our family. Family must come too. But you imagine how difficult it might have been for her to reach out to her family. You've had nothing to do with me all these years. You've abused me. You've just shot for me. And yet she says to these people, to the two spies, will you show kindness to my family? Remember that word, kindness, covenant, love? God, I now, this covenant love which you've given to me, I now 
want to show to my family. I now want to reach out to my family. I want them to come too. I want them to come too. Life throws at us difficult situations which are so difficult and hard sometimes. But if God has saved you, I know he's saved everyone in this room, God has saved you, you're a kingpin for their salvation too. Covenant love, the promise to love others for the sake that the love that God has given us. In the same way, the same people, in the same situations. Love that story in the New Testament where Mary comes up behind Jesus and starts to wash his feet. Jesus allowed a prostitute to ply the tricks of her trade on him in order to win her. You say, oh, Jesus is holy. He could never do things like that. Ah, no. That's not the Jesus I know because it's not the way he expects us to react sometimes and to become homophobic, become isolationists because he has a covenant love. And so, when a writer of the Hebrews talks about Rahab, maybe he sees something deeper in the fact that she welcomed the spies. But the story tells us so much more when we read it and we understand. Show kindness, O Lord, through the kindness, what's it, Timothy, Titus, Peter, I don't know, through the kindness and love of God our Saviour. That's the phrase that's used. Through that, our lives have been blessed. And so Rahab, she came to that point in her life through the kindness and love of God her Saviour. If you just open your Bibles to Hebrews 13... Because I wanted to look briefly. <clears throat> Obedience is a characteristic of life which can change the whole world. Families. Where would our families be without obedient children? and people. When I was going out with Margaret, that's quite a long time ago now, her dad used to say to her, I want you in by 11 o'clock. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <coughs> At two minutes past 11, <laughs> she used to creep up the stairs and her dad used to call out, what time do you call this then? <laughs> Scenario. Well, she was, 20. she was 21 then. She was 21. But she always wanted to do what Dad said. If it was gone 11, she should look at her watch. I've got to be in, she said, at 21. Got to be in. Because she wanted to honour her father. And honour 
what he said. I'd say so my children too. Best looked out the window and they were sitting in the car, so I knew I was about there, you know, just making the best of the last few moments, like you do. <laughs> and you know, there's that pushing the boundaries, as always. But in families, one of the good things with children, very good thing, up to the, I think up to age of seven, go for first-time obedience. That means parents must stick by their word. Don't say something that your child can't keep, that's impossible to keep or too difficult to keep. Now I can think of instances in my life when I asked my children to do things and I wished I hadn't asked them and made them do it right to the bitter end. So there's a question of grace with obedience. But that's a good principle. Go for first time obedience. That can transform society. Do it in love, do it in grace. At a certain stage in their lives, when they come to understand, my mum used to say to me, she says, my word is my bond. Have you ever heard that? My word is my bond, you know. What I say, you must do. But obedience can transform society. Disobedience, well, it can bring havoc, can't it? And has brought havoc to our world. And so right from early stages, the characteristic of obedience, coming to submission, what someone else says, is quite important. And I know none of us really do it. None of us are perfect, are we? None of us have been perfect and done it right up to the, up, right up to the letter. But obedience is important in families. Obedience is important as we come to God, and we've already sort of touched on that. I just want to read to you a verse in in Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. To the obedience that comes from faith. So not only is the call to obedience to accept Jesus Christ as the coming King and the Messiah and as the Saviour of the earth. But it's calling us to the whole concept of submission, being obedient to what God says, because that's the way of blessing. That's the way that our lives can be truly blessed. Obedience. But coming back to Hebrews 13, verse 17, this is in the context of the church It's in the context of faith, having looked at the people in history that through faith have trusted God. Obey, this is obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage 
to you. Words of counsel to the church. This is really tough. We've come through times in church life called heavy shepherding, where, like the Pharisees, they've placed on the people burdens that they couldn't bear. I want you to give £100 every week. I want you to do this, the heavy, the heavy burdens, a bit like scribes and Pharisees, as I said. But, you know, sometimes a leaders who are placed in the right place by God will actually give direction and say things that are actually going to bless your life and to keep it from going down wrong roads. And more often than not, that word will be through the scriptures. Either a word of knowledge or understanding for your individual life, or it may be a directive. Like as I said, and Fred said so many times, people just do what they want. Church life should not be a place where people just do what they want. These are tough words too, aren't they? But that's the environment that God wants to create in love, in grace, because leaders are there to honour the people and to give them direction as what is going to bring them into power and blessing. Into power and blessing. Now, for example, if John and I messed up and we're doing things wrong, there's someone, other believers that you can go, other leaders around us that you can go say, look, these, these guys are out of order. Will you come and sort this out? But hopefully we wouldn't be like that. But in a sense, we just want to bless your lives through the word of Scripture and to lead you in ways. And I've seen many times that people have done the totally opposite of what we've advised them. And you see the result of that. And it brings us into a weaker place as a believer. Things like that need to be repented of. And we need to come back to the place of power. So the whole purpose, the writer of the Hebrews said about the people of Jericho that they were a disobedient people. But Rahab got on the right track she came to the submission of what God was doing and become, as it infers, one of the obedient, one of the women who honoured God, let alone became a lady-in-waiting. She served nobility. She served the cause of the king coming to this earth, the king that will, be, will rule forever and ever and ever. As Maggie read this morning, when we know Jesus as Saviour. You who weren't a people are now a people. You're kings and priests to serve the living God. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you again so much for your covenant love. Lord, the world that you promised to show love to has been shown through Jesus. And we receive that love this morning, Lord. We receive it. And we praise you for it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, in our lives to honour you and to serve you. In Jesus' name. Amen.